one of the, one of the things that I've noticed today in our in our world is that we have so many choices, so many options, don't we? I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy how many options for different things we'd have. But the, the dynamic about having too many options is that because we have so many options, it creates a lot of division. You see, uh, back in the early days, when cars became a thing, you know, in, in this country, either you were a Ford guy or a Chevrolet guy. And then you were either, either an American car or a German car guy. And then a Japanese car. And now a Korean car. And, and now it's all kinds of different cars from Italy and, and France and uh, England and all these different types of cars. And the same thing happens with all the other stuff that, that, that we live with and the things that we have. And even happens with ideas. Some people got happy when the word acquitted was mentioned. Some others got happy when a paper was torn. So, you know, we have so many different options and so many different choices that at the same time, they cause a lot of division. And I think that more than ever in the history of the world, our, uh, our country is the most divided that it's ever been. So in the middle of all this division... We have created a separation, a separation that has cost us not only our, our happiness, but also has taught us to not love, but to hate those who are different from us. See, Paul, as he, as he, as he establishes churches in the first century, he encounters that, that that was kind of the thing too, because unfortunately that is not a new thing. Division, it's been around from the beginning. In fact, that is exactly what the devil tried to do in the Garden of Eden. When he convinced Eve that she wasn't enough like God and that she needed to eat from that tree, right away, when, when Adam and Eve ate from that tree, division was established. A division that was never intended to exist because now there was division between men and God. And right away, right away, division between people arose because when God encounters Adam and was looking for him, Adam said, well, the woman you gave me. Right? So what sin has caused from the beginning has been division between the, in the relationship between man and God and division between the people. So in the middle of this situation, as Paul is preaching, to the different churches that were established in the first century, she, he comes to a church that was completely divided. And this is the church of Corinth. And so, so now, Paul, in the, in the chapter um, 5 of 2 Corinthians, establishes or tries to share with them the reasons why we should be connected. The reasons why, in order to be Lovers like God, we need to learn to see past beyond our division and see the things that can unite us and put us back together. Paul presents in the chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians kind of like a model of what we should look for in unity. 
So the first thing that he presents is that we need to get a new perspective. We need to change the way we see things. You see, the way that Paul presents Jesus, he gives the, the characteristics that the people in the Roman times were used to see of a triumph ceremony. Let me explain this to you. Today we use the word, the word triumph for what? For victory, for somebody who won, right? For, for somebody who, who accomplished something and we say triumph. But see, triumph in those days was a celebration, you see, when a Roman general went to, to, to a battle to conquer a, a, a place, a, a city, a, a country, and they came back, a triumph was a celebration. And the way it was, was that there was a parade marching into the city. And in this city, as, as the music began to play, the general next marching on his horse next to, to his officers, they would walk into the city, march into the city, followed by somebody who was bringing the spoils from the victory. Uh, it is said that historians describe that uh, uh, when Titus came back from, from Jerusalem after he destroyed the city, there were Roman soldiers carrying the objects that were taken from the temple in Jerusalem, playing the trumpets that the priests, used, the Levites used to play at the ceremonies in Jerusalem, bringing the utensils that were used once for the uh, uh, sacrifices and the, uh, the, uh, the uh, I was speaking Spanish for a second, and the priestly duties. So uh, I was teaching Spanish the whole week, so now I'm like, I have to rewire my head. Um, so... Uh, so now uh, what's happening is that behind the, the spoils, the army that survived and, and were victorious after the battle, now they would march into the city. And now what would happen was that the Caesar will come out of his balcony and on this general and upon everyone else, they would get this Stephanos, this crown of victory, this, this uh, olive branch crown that was placed on their head as a symbol that they were triumphant. So what Paul is saying to the Corinthians in chapter 5 is that, uh, 2 Corinthians, is that he is presenting that we already have the victory, that we are already triumphant, that the only limit between us and victory is just accepting Jesus Christ. Let's go to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and notice what it says. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. So what he's saying is this. Guys, you know, the reason why you don't see it is because you're looking at the thing. You're looking at, at, at salvation. You're, lo you're looking at Christianity. You're looking at this new way from the old perspective. But once you look at it from the perspective of Christ, then you will see the whole picture. So when I was reading this text, it came to my head an experience that we had a year ago with my family. We had an opportunity to go to, to the north part of Argentina and the south of Brazil. And there, in the border between these two countries, there is a natural park called Iguazu, Iguazu Foss. And uh, if you're familiar with what's going on there, is that in this park... Uh, it's one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, uh, waterfall in the world. 
So the first day when we went to this park, we went on the Argentinian side. So as we were marching into the park and hiking all these trails that they'd have before you get to this huge waterfall, before you approach, you hear the roaring of the water, you know, all this thousands and thousands of gallons of water that come from the river and, and, and just fall powerfully from the waterfall. So from the Argentinian side, you hear the noise and this is what you see first. And you know, you go to the edge and you see all this water, you see the noise and you're impressed when you're looking from the Argentinian side. But I was not that amazed at the beauty of what this is until we went to the Brazilian side. And probably my, my mother-in-law is going to hate me that I want to say this, but from the Brazilian side, you see the actual beauty of the whole thing. Because when you stand on the other side, you're actually right there. And instead of just looking at the surface and looking at the water go down, you're looking at the whole thing. So once your perspective changes, then you really admire what is going on there. Then you really see the beauty, the completeness. You actually walk in there and you feel the mist falling on you. You kind of become part of it for a second. Because you get to see everything from a new perspective. And you see what Paul is saying, family, here, is that when we haven't learned to see life from the lens of Christ, we are limiting ourselves because our humanity is preventing from us to experience the fullness that Jesus is willing to give us. So as long as we stay in the old way of seeing things, we can never be triumphant. We cannot claim victory. That's why Oftentimes, I think our Christian experience is limited because we still think that we have something to do to earn it. You know, there's been times when I've talked to people and, and, and we talk about uh, God and things. And, and, and some people believe that, yeah, we're saved by grace, but, but I have to do something. You see that, but limits the meaning of the whole thing because that but is saying that Jesus' sacrifice was not enough, that there's something else that I have to do. So Paul says to the Corinthians, you see guys, you don't see the whole picture because you're limiting yourselves. You have to see it from the perspective of Christ. That victory has already been won. The victory is already ours. So don't walk around as you were defeated, as if you were defeated. Don't walk around as if you were still in your own life. Walk around as someone who has already been redeemed. Walk around as somebody who has already attained victory. Because Jesus has already given it to us. In 1 Corinthians 7.31, Paul writes, Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. Now this is, this is crazy and, and it's kind of sad at the same time. Because see, what happens is that in reality, the, all the things that cause division amongst us, all the things that divide us as society, are not eternal. 
they all have an end. Some of those things end every four years or eight. Some of those things end with age. Some of those things end when the next thing comes up. But all the things, all the things that cause division amongst people have an expiration date. So Paul is saying, guys, understand this. That all these things that you're fighting about, all these things that are causing division and are preventing you from seeing the whole picture, don't matter in the scope of eternity. They don't. So we have to learn to see life from a new perspective. So, so then Paul says, see, now we, we have to understand that our job is not to fight about our things, but instead our job is to learn to seek unity. Is our, our mission, he says, is reconciliation. Now, the definition of reconciliation is to exchange. Let me explain. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19, it says, and all of this, he's talking about all these things that are going on and what Jesus has done already. All these things is a gift from God. Who brought us back to himself through Christ, and God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Now, so let, let, let's see it from the biblical historical uh, uh, perspective. From the Garden of Eden, the relationship between man and men was truncated. So from the beginning, God has been trying to reconstruct that relationship. If, if we remember that chapter 3 of Genesis, when sin enters into the picture, after Adam and Eve sin, the first one to take the first step towards reconciling this broken relationship is God. Adam, where are you? You think that God was... Where is this guy at? I don't know where he went. No, God knows everything, right? But what God is doing is that he's putting himself in a position of equality with Adam so that the things that God is, was about to present to Adam would be to unite instead of being, Adam, I know what you did. Come out now. You see what happens? So notice, only a God that could become human could save humanity. That is why Jesus, being rich, became poor. So that we could become rich through him. Now, I told you before that in the Greek, the word reconciling means to exchange. And the way I can, I can tell you how this works in our context is that, uh, have you ever bought clothes at, a, at the mall or any store, but you like it, but you don't try it on? Yeah? Guilty? All right. 
So you go home, you're all excited. Oh, I'm going to wear this outfit. I'm going to wear this pants, this shirt. And the moment you put them on, either you had many pretzels at the mall that day or you thought you were bigger. But the clothes just doesn't fit. But you like it. You like the style. You like the color. It goes perfect with the rest of the outfit. So what's your first thought? I'm going to go change it. Right? And we have a different attitude when we go return something than when we go change it. When we go to exchange a, a, a garment, we go to the store. And in fact, we already know what is the size that we need. We know where it is. But when we go to exchange, we don't worry about that. All we do is go to the store. We have the receipt right there. Say, you know, I, I want to return this. But when we go to exchange, there's a level of excitement. Because at the end of the day, you are going to have exactly what you need. So this is what happens. And the perspective of God, reconciling means to exchange. To exchange the things that separate for the things that unite. Recon uh, to exchange a, 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 a perspective of humanity and division and see things from a perspective of Jesus and unification. Remove the stuff that prevents you to see what God sees from the experience of Jesus. So God is in the process, and he's always been in the process to exchange that experience. Adam, what's going on? Where are you? Oh, I'm here. I, I was hiding because I noticed that I was naked. See, we don't know how long Adam lived in the garden before he sinned. We just don't know that. Because see, before sin, time doesn't matter. Just like when we go to heaven... Time will not matter because eternity is a thing that we cannot comprehend because we're limited by sin and by time. So before Adam sinned, we have no idea how long he lived in the garden. But after he sinned, now he sees that there's a problem. He's naked. And he tells God, God, you know, um, uh, I noticed that I was naked and I was afraid. And God is like, dude, I made you like that. I know. You've been like that for a while. So what is God doing there? What he does is that he exchanges that feeling of shame and nakedness. And he teaches Adam a lesson. You see this little animal here that has not sinned? That has no fault at all? I'm going to take... His skin and put it on you. To cover your apparently new feeling of shame. That was the first step. Of redemption. That someone who was completely guiltless 
was going to take on himself the guilt of everyone else. So God is saying, Adam, we're not there where you were before. We're not there yet where I want you to be, but I want you to know something. That the plan, it's working. All you have to do is to see it from my eyes. Is to see it from my perspective. Is to keep on the plan. So every time that Adam sacrificed an animal, was thinking, this is the way that one day humanity, my family, myself, we're going to be able to be back where we were before sin. Imagine how well Adam did it that by chapter 4, now Abel and Cain present their sacrifices. That means that Abel and Cain were old enough, they were head of households, that they needed to offer their own sacrifices. They were not kids anymore. So they had learned from their father the meaning, the experience, and the process. So God is trying always to reconcile humanity to him and with each other. But it is true that reconciliation has many levels, many layers. We have to experience reconciliation in our families. We have to experience reconciliation in our work place. We have to experience reconciliation in our communities. We have to experience reconciliation in our church. We have to experience reconciliation and Politics, we have to experience reconciliation everywhere. But none of those places, none of those layers of, 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 of society will be affected by the experience of reconciliation, of exchange of ideas and perspective, unless people experience reconciliation with God first. That is why God tried to restore his relationship with Adam before he said, hey, Adam and Eve, don't fight. You guys have to need, come to cancel it with me. See, first he tried to restore the relationship between him and Adam instead of between Adam and Eve. Because the first layer of reconciliation and the most important is a relationship. The relationship of humanity with God. And once that takes place, all the others begin to happen. So Paul is telling the Corinthians... Guys, first, we need to change the way we think. And we need to understand that the whole purpose of us learning about Jesus is reconciliation. But also, he says, we need to understand that our job is to represent Jesus and his kingdom. Notice that now Paul not only gives uh, the reason why we're here, he gives the reason why it's acting with us, but also he gives us a purpose. Because every time that we don't share a purpose, every time that we don't have a goal, a common goal, we go separate ways. Notice, verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors, ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. We are ambassadors. The word ambassador, obviously, is not a new thing. In fact, 
It's a little different now than back then because back then Rome never sent ambassadors to any country. They just took the countries. But people from other countries sent ambassadors to Rome bringing gifts to Caesar to maintain the peace. But in our days, the word ambassador has another meaning. Because see, in our days, an ambassador is somebody who has been appointed to represent our country in another country. Just recently, we, 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 we learned, right, a few weeks back, and that, that uh, our um, embassy in Iraq had been attacked. And that embassy is the place where the ambassador operates. And according to, to the laws that are accepted in, 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 uh, in foreign policies around the world, is that the land where the embassy of a country is, it's actually that country that is represented. So notice what's happening here. Paul is saying, we are all ambassadors. We all represent the kingdom of Christ. See, when my kids were little and I would drop them off at, at school, at, at the academy, uh, I would tell them, guys, remember, you are ambassadors for the Bikini family. Behave well. You know, and the next thing that came to my head, and uh, I never said it to them, but I thought about it, is that, remember, I'm a pastor. I don't want you people to think bad about me, you know. No, but, 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 but I would tell them, guys, you are ambassadors for a family, and, and they will see our family through you. So do the best you can to represent who you are well. And that is exactly what Paul is saying. Guys, you are ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven. Do what you can to represent Jesus, his kingdom well. And as long as we're quarreling and as long as we're all separated and, and disjointed, we won't be able to do that. Because we don't have focus of the mission. We have to be united in this front. Now, it's quite interesting what he says in Ephesians chapter 6. And pray for me too, Paul says. Ask God to give me the right word so I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles. Now, let me tell you something quite interesting. See, for the mentality of the first century, when you were speaking with Jews, Jews thought and believed that they were the chosen nation, right? Because that's what the Old Testament told us. And they accepted that. We are the chosen nation of God. So everyone else who was not a Jew was a Gentile. So there's only two kinds of people in the world for the Jews. The Jews... And the Gentiles. And Paul is saying, see, that's not how this works. From the perspective of God, the good news are for everyone. For Jews and Gentiles. We are all ambassadors of the kingdom. 
There's no division. There's no separation. There's no uh, uh, this is us and this is them. I am, he says, in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. Notice what Paul, what's happening with Paul. He is in prison when he's writing this letter. In fact, it is believed that he actually dictated his letters because he had an issue with his eyes since the moment that he encountered Jesus on the way to Damascus. Uh, he had an issue with his sight. So that was a thorn that was, oh, he was praying all the time for God to remove, that he could be able to see. Imagine, you travel all over the place you can't see. You're a writer, but you can't see. Right? So Paul is constantly praying to God that that would be removed. So he is in prison and he is dictating these letters. And this is what happens. This is what happens. The people who were with him were soldiers. So guess who wrote these letters? Roman soldiers. So as he's telling, hey, hey, you know what? I need to send a letter to the Ephesians. Okay, I'll help you. Can I dictate to you? And you can write it because I can't see. Sure. So the soldier is there, you know, and Paul is saying, you know, pray for me, church, because I want to be able to preach the good news. You know, to the Jews and to the Gentiles the same way. And the Roman is like, well, I'm not a Jew, but I'm a Gentile. This is interesting. You know, and he's like, I am in chains now. I'm in prison. Right? But I want to speak boldly about him. So what happens? The soldier is listening. He's like, what, is, what are these good news? Paul, in his circumstances, he became an ambassador for the kingdom. That means, yes, I know you know what I'm going to say. You, in your circumstances are an ambassador for the kingdom. Paul was not in the most optimal of them, yet that did not stop him from becoming an ambassador. Whatever your circumstances are, you can be an ambassador for the kingdom. In chains or free, poor or, or wealthy, educated or not, young or old, men, women, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. There's no limits for what the kingdom can do when someone becomes an ambassador for the kingdom. So I, I want to share with you a little bit of what we're going to be doing in the next series. starts next week. You don't want to miss next series. The series starting point. And we're not only going to learn a few things about how we can be ambassadors today, but also I'm going to share with you the way to do evangelism in this time. And then I'm going to share with you the plan that we have for our church, an evangelistic plan for our church between now until Jesus comes. So you do not want to miss that. You do not want to miss it. And when we depart from the idea that we're all ambassadors, I pray, and I'm pretty sure it's going to turn around the way we see things. So don't miss it.
Paul continues in verse 21 of 2 Corinthians 5. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. More than ever, people are struggling today. More than ever, families are suffering today. More than ever, political, social, economic problems surround us. You know, I, I was reading this week about uh, this last generation that is called the Z generation. The, the kids that were born at the turn of the millennial. These are not millennials anymore. They are called the Z generation. And I was reading that this generation, obviously they're different from us, right, who are older. We already noticed that. But what happened, what's happening is this. This is a generation with the greatest levels of anxiety than any other generation that has lived in the 100, last 100 years in our country. Because see, in our days, when we went to school and if we were bullied or we had a bad day, we had a little fight with someone, we went home and at home we were safe. The problem stayed behind. But this generation, they go home and the bullying continues online. The problems linger. Being at home does not mean that they, they escaped their situation. Now, in our generation, when I was a kid, when I was 10, 11, 12, my biggest problem was, where is my baseball glove? But a kid today, at that age, they're so exposed. Well, what's going on in the world, bombings, shootings in other schools, predators, all these things, that now their concerns about their safety are completely different. In fact, there's really not a place where a kid today can feel 100% safe. Because they go to school and they know that shootings happen at school. They go to the mall and they know that there's evil at the mall. They go online and there's, they know that there's evil online. They go home and they know that 98% of the cases of abuse happen at home. So this generation is growing with such high levels of anxiety that we need to understand them in such a way that we can become ambassadors of peace. Ambassadors of joy and hope. Because see, this is the reality. We are one generation away from extinction as Christian church. Let me say this again. We are one generation away from extinction. If we lose the next generation, once the last of us dies, it's game over. So today more than ever, we need to understand that we need to be ambassadors for the kingdom where we are. Because this is the time that God called us to be alive. And it is our privilege to learn to love like Jesus today.